Welcome to Taiwanese Diaspora, a podcast created by and for Taiwan Zhen. We bring together people of Taiwanese heritage from around the world. Hey everyone, welcome to the Taiwanese Diaspora podcast, episode 3. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Jen Shea. She's an anthropologist who conducted her PhD research on noise in Taiwan. 大家好,欢迎收听台湾人这个podcast的第三集。Hi, Jen. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you share with us what it's like to be an anthropologist. You can do a quick self-introduction about yourself, about why you chose to do anthropology, and maybe a little bit about some of the research you're doing right now. I know you did some of your research in Taiwan and how it pertains to what you want to do next in academia. Okay, thanks. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Hello, hello. Hello,你好,我叫谢若琳,我是一位人类学的学者,目前在哈佛费正清中心做博士后研究。那之前是在斯坦福大学念人类学。我今天很高兴跟的Cynthia来交流,来聊一聊。So I am... Currently a postdoctoral fellow at the Harvard Fairbank Center for Chinese Studies. Um, and before that, I did my PhD in anthropology at Stanford. Um, I'm originally from Texas. Uh, grew up in Dallas, where there was a pretty sizable Taiwanese community in the 70s and 80s. And um, after that, I've been living in different places in, in the U.S. for mostly for college, then grad school. So I became an anthropologist. Uh, it's something that I discovered when I went to college. So I've, I've always played music uh, growing up. I played piano, and I was really into um, thinking about ways of self-expression through art and music. And somehow I landed in an introduction to anthropology course my freshman year. Uh, this is at Harvard. and. Um, I loved the class. It seems to answer a lot of the questions I had growing up as a Taiwanese Texan, you know, growing up in two different cultures and learning about how there are different ways to live one's life and that we have things to learn from people who have different, who come from different cultures and different backgrounds. So that kind of introduced me to this new way of thinking about um, how do we express ourselves and communicate to other people that I started to explore in parallel to music. Anthropology and music have been the two main uh, interests that have sustained me throughout my life mm -hmm. and um, has allowed me to learn about different cultures about and to read some wonderful stories about different places around the world and also to, to understand how we as individuals can become more um, aware of the different types of cultures and differences that are that are there. I've been in higher ed for more than 10 years now and have explored anthropology, learning about social theory, learning about really abstract theorists uh, from Marx, Vangor Durkheim, and thinking about how to relate that to everyday life. 
and I did this by going back to something that I've always been curious about, which is about my own uh, cultural heritage, about being Taiwanese. Uh, I was born in the U.S., so I, I didn't really travel to Taiwan that often growing up, uh, just, you know, for a couple weeks at a time to see family, but I never lived there. And when I started to do my graduate studies in anthropology, I decided that I wanted to base my research in Taiwan. And that gave me a chance to go back to Taiwan for months at a time. And then when I did my dissertation research, I was able to spend 16 months there uh, living and working and going through all the seasons, seeing what it's like, seeing, learning about the bureaucracy of trying to immigrate to Taiwan for uh, a short while and how to um, make connections and, and meet people there. So anthropology was really a way for me to learn more about my own cultural heritage and to, to kind of answer some questions I had about just my family and different ways of living in general. So, so yeah, so I started working in Taiwan, and I also, should I talk about my project, or? Yeah, would you? Let's talk any? about your project. Actually, can you go back a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So, you talked about being a Taiwanese Texan. Yes. What defines a Taiwanese Texan? A Taiwanese Texan, for me, is somebody who loves barbecue and sweet things. <laughs> I love sweet tea, and it's very similar to bubble tea. Um... It's somebody, for me, it's it's somebody who grew up um, kind of always being on the outside looking in at, at a culture. I guess the Texan identity is pretty strong. The Texan identity is an interesting identity because I also grew, I also went to grad school in California, which is very different mm -hmm. from Texas in terms of um, the number of Asian Asians and Asian Americans are in Texas. So I grew up um, with maybe a handful, maybe about five other Asian, Asian American peers at school. And, you know, there's, all, there's a small shopping center in Richardson, Texas, where there's a Taiwanese community where we can go get our soup dumplings and our tong uh, bean. And um, that's one small community, and that's where everybody would go. That's where the whole Taiwanese American community would go on the weekends. And this is in Dallas, and um, going to to California for grad school was completely different because I realized that there are so many different Asian communities all over, and it was just a different way of of seeing what it might be to be an Amer Asian American in a different place. Yeah, that's really cool. So, did you learn Mandarin or Taiwanese growing up in Dallas, like at home or through the community, or like? Oh yeah. Yeah, there was Chinese school on Saturdays, and also during the summertime. I have really good memories of Chinese school growing up. Well, the summers were really fun because we had class in the daytime, and then we would go on field trips. So we would go like roller skating or swimming or bowling, and that was a lot of fun. That was when I was in elementary school, and then we also had little performances. So I remember doing like a play in all in Mandarin, all in Chinese, and and that was a lot of fun. That was yeah, that was. Where I learned how to learn and like learned about how to write characters, and I also learned Taiwanese uh, mostly at home with my grandmother, and uh, had a babysitter who spoke Taiwanese. Cool. And and yes, yeah, so so that's something that I I'm 
grateful to have had exposure to. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, I guess let's start with your research then as well. Sure, sure. And just for those of us not in anthropology, <laughs> how does one conduct anthropology? Anthropology, anthropological, anthropological? Anthropological research? Yeah. That's a great question. Thanks for, thanks for asking. Uh, so the kind of anthropology I do is I, I'm a social anthropologist, social and cultural anthropologist. And our main methodology is field work, which means that we, can, we spend an extended amount of time in a place um, where you kind of become more acclimated to the place. We, you learn the language. And the idea is to really see what it's like to live in, in a certain place for a long time. So this is a little bit different from going in for maybe a week or so because you, what you, the kinds of insights you gain by staying in one place for over a year, for, for, for one to two years, is different from the kinds of insights you might have if you're just there for one or two weeks. So um, the kind of anthropological field work that I do is really based on doing long-term research, long-term qualitative research. So it's what, what we do during this time is um, you meet people, you interview them, uh, you might find a certain activity that you do every single day so that you can, you can kind of see what the day-to-day -day routines are and how it might vary um, from season to season or from place to place. So uh, we call it hanging out. Uh, it's the official academic term? It's the official or the official and unofficial. And it's, it, yeah, it's a That's term awesome. that we use <laughs> to do our work is, is hanging out. But of course, the hanging out involves writing notes, writing field notes, um, going home at night to remember everything that happened in the day and typing it into your computer. Um, it also means taking care to protect the identities of the people we work with because uh, we don't want to influence their lives in any negative way by doing our work. So it's about creating pseudonyms. It's also about knowing what, what it means to actually um, what the ethical stakes are in, in becoming a part of somebody else's life for a period. So then for the 16 months that you got to spend in Taiwan, what did you have to learn from like a practical living in Taiwan standpoint um, to adapt? And what did you do for your research there? Sure, great. Um, so, in order, so, so when I got there for the first 16 months, well, one challenge for me is to separate my personal life from my research life. So I have family in Taiwan, family in Taipei. And, uh, you know, when you're there, usually when, when I would go there in the past, it would be to see family. So one of the first challenges was to try to make sure everybody knew and that I knew for myself that I was there to do work uh, and that would entail maybe not seeing my family as much as they wanted to, but it also meant that it was a doubt that I was in this position where for the first time in my life I was able to balance kind of being close to family and also being able to, to do my work. Um, the kinds of practical things that, in terms of just getting situated, you know, things like getting a bank account, um, going to the immigration office to get a resident permit, those things were a little tricky. <laughs> and oh, also getting a cell phone number because um, there's just a lot of documents and things that 
they required. But I think that's pretty typical of any, you know, moving to any country. It's just that maybe one thing that was interesting for me is that because I look like I'm a local, I look Taiwanese, and I look like I should be able to just speak Mandarin and Taiwanese fluently, I don't actually understand the cultural nuances. Mm. So things that people expect me to know, I don't really know. And that would go even just, um, yeah, especially things like going to the bank and not knowing how to fill out a deposit form or, or things like that. You know, I would have to tell them, and sometimes it was embarrassing, but then I, I had to realize that, no, well, it's okay because I don't know how to do these things. So I would ask them very kind of simply, like, I'm sorry, I'm not from here. Can you please tell me how to, how to do this? Or, um, and, and sometimes they would, sometimes it took maybe a couple more tries of repeating myself. Sometimes I would just have to speak English for a little bit for them to understand that, oh, okay, this person really isn't from here. <laughs> uh, and that was interesting. So that was something that I didn't um, anticipate going into my research. Any tips for those of um, us who may want to try moving there for a little bit? Well, I think it's definitely worth it. I had a great time. And in terms of tips, I mean, there's so many online resources. Facebook is great now, especially to connect people, you know, Taiwanese Americans, or they call it expats in, the, in Taiwan. And you really learn a lot about this interesting position of being a Taiwanese American, I think, by being there. I mean, there's a huge, I feel like there's a huge influx of people who grew up in the U.S., who are now moving back to Taiwan, starting their own businesses, starting restaurants, art galleries. It's a really exciting time to to be there right now. I think there's definitely a, a lot of space for communities. I think also mobilizing your alumni network from college is is a great idea because uh, it's very there's a very active scene in Taiwan for that. And, uh, yeah, let's dive into the research for okay. how much you're whatever you're sure. willing to talk about. Sure. So I guess my research is a story. I, I, I study noise in Taipei, um, which is kind of interesting because it's noise. I mean, it's just like any other city. It's very noisy. It's kind of like New York City. There's cars. There's, you know, there's people walking around. There's a lot of broadcast announcements and things. But I'm interested in how people hear a sound and say that it's noise. So the reason I started this project is because I went back one summer and I was hearing the garbage truck music. Oh yeah, it sounds like the ice cream truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds just like an ice cream truck. And I didn't know what it was for the first week that I was in that I was there. It sounded, it's, I thought it was an ice cream truck, but I was like, why is it coming at night? At night? <laughs> yeah. So it was really strange to me, and, and nobody else seemed to really notice it. They didn't seem bothered. It was just something that they lived with. And then, you know, at some point, I did learn that it was the garbage truck, and I became fascinated. I went online. I saw a number of uh, foreign visitors who would take videos of the garbage truck and post it on YouTube. So I realized that, yeah, okay, this is something that people are noticing, um, but it's actually not the lo not locals who grew up there that feel that it's anything. For them, it's just their day-to-day -day life. They've, they've been living with it for 20 more or, or so years. So then I became really interested in what is noise to one culture and what's noise to another culture, and how do we hear differently? That was really my main question 
It's like how how do people hear differently in different places, and how and how much does that have to do with your environment that um, you're surrounded by? So that was when I started to think more about noise as kind of this interesting uh, cultural question, like how, what is noise and how do we how how do we define it? How might it be different? Uh, for example, a lot of traffic sounds are not considered noisy in Taiwan in Taipei because it's just um, that's just what people need to get to work every day, right? So it becomes natural, and it becomes an expectation that it's going to that there's going to be traffic noise. But then there are other things like the humming of uh, exhaust fans or ventilate ventilation fans that people hear when, especially when they're indoors in their apartments, that they do consider to be really noisy. They they don't want to be able to hear it when they're inside. So there's this distinction between public. The uh, accessible sounds and sounds that you hear in, in private spaces, and that was that became what I looked at uh, for my research. And you know, when I kept when I started to look into this question even more, I realized that noise, according to the Environmental Protection Administration in Taiwan, uh, noise is the number one environmental complaint. So that means that more people will call and report noise than they do um, trash, sanitation, uh, air and water pollution. Whoa. And, and so I became really interested in this question about hearing in Taiwan and, and, and how people understand noise. Um, and I think some of my own experience as being Taiwanese American also informed this project because I have a very specific, very uh, vivid memory of going to a bubble tea shop in Taipei and ordering bubble tea. And then the, the cashier asks me abruptly, You're not from here. And I was like, oh, like, you kind of tool, could you see, could you see, could you tell, right? Because that's what you would say in English, you kind of tool, and then she corrected me, she's like, no, tindo tulai. I was like, wow, you know, so then, mm -hmm. so yeah, that was, that to me made me think more about, you know, how much do people, how much information do people gather just from the sounds that they hear, just from like people talking from different accents. And it made me even more curious about how much people in Taiwan rely upon their hearing senses as a way to kind of navigate the world, navigate their day-to-day -day lives. And the garbage truck is one example. Um, the, the noise complaints that people make is another example. Um, but accents is also another thing. And, and so that was something that was really, was kind That's of... really cool. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's definitely something, I think, as Asian Americans, when we go back to Taiwan. I remember when I was really little, there was one time... Um, I was at a yes, and they had a crowd that was a seller of this tolua. It was just like a wooden top with a string, and you can throw it on the ground, and it'll spin like a top. They were doing this like giveaway for people who weren't from Taiwan, but then they're like, "Oh no, you're not, you're not a foreigner." <laughs> it's really interesting to think about, yeah, those questions of like, who's a foreigner, who's on the who's on the inside, who's on the outside. How how do people kind of make those distinctions? And one thing I, I learned to do, so it's easy, people kind of understand when I tell them I'm ABC, then mm -hmm. they kind of know. But it was also, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, that I sometimes had to speak English for them to believe me, to believe that I was a foreigner. And sometimes the things that they take for granted, you know, I'm completely lost with. So that it's interesting how those perceptions play out in different places. I feel like in the U.S., like, we kind of take for granted that, oh, yeah, foreigners come from everywhere. But then um, that kind of mentality is not as 
it's still not as mainstream, I would say, in Taiwan. So, so you know, when we when we go back, when you and I go back, we're kind of changing those perceptions slowly, Yay. one by one. <laughs> cool. So I know. So when I met you in Taiwan, I only was only there for three months, and you were there I think, for much longer for your also, research. Also right? for the summer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm so curious because I know you were doing these surveys that you were. Um, I think you were writing surveys, but in Chinese. So that implies that you have to also be able to do research in Chinese, like be able to read and write yeah. really well, and then be able to then survey people, I guess, speaking and hearing. So, in both Taiwanese and Mandarin. How did you get so conversant in a topic that's so technical, a language that's not your other main language? Yeah, so I, you know, I said I, I did go to Chinese school when I was young, but I actually quit when I was also very young. So <laughs> I stopped maybe, I was still in elementary school when I quit Chinese school, and my Chinese was very much lacking when I, when I started to do my research. I took the undergraduate Chinese courses when I was uh, in my PhD program. So my first, second, and third year of my PhD program, I was taking those classes. And then I was also going to Taiwan in the summers, to take more Chinese. So language was a really big part of being able, language training was a really big part of being able to actually do the research. And, um, you know, but of course those classes are are, are more um, general Mandarin, right? You learn a couple stories, you learn some tangyi, and then you learn some vocabulary from different topics. Uh, none of it has to do with any of the stuff that I was looking at. I was looking at um, reports about noise and acoustics and about measurement, decibel measurements and kind of the resonance of different spaces. And and all of that I learned when I was doing my research. So I kind of learned on the job, you could say. Um, for the first three, three or so months, I was just looking at government reports about noise in Chinese. And the first couple reports took me forever to read because all the vocabulary was different, was new for me. I had to look up almost every single word. Um, but then gradually, the, the language itself, that was kind of my building up the terminology in order to do my field work. And then it was easier after after those first three months. I was able to recognize the words and um, things became a little bit easier. But you know what's also really helpful is just having Taiwanese friends on Facebook who post in Chinese and just reading their comments. That I, I found that to be a great way to kind of maintain uh, my reading skills, my reading and writing skills. So exciting. Because <laughs> I know if there was a period of time I was like, oh, great, now I have, you know, Facebook or whatever with my cousins or like Line and we can exchange yeah. messages in Chinese. But when it gets to be multi sentences, paragraphs, <laughs> it's really difficult <laughs> to read and like understand the meaning. Yeah, that was the other challenging thing actually was navigating websites in Chinese. So I would have, to, I went to the library to get documents and to look at newspapers from, from long ago for, in Taiwan. But the tricky part was actually just like learning how, how to navigate the websites, looking, knowing what to look for. And, you know, I really depended a lot on people there to help me out. And just not being shy about asking lots and lots of questions uh, to the librarian, to the reference librarian. They were really great. Um, it was Taiwan, Taiwan Library in Yonghe. They have a whole collection of documents from the Japanese period. Whoa. Newspapers in the Japanese period. They also have things um, more more recent than that. So it was like Yonha. Then I would go to um, uh, National Taiwan University and use their library because they had a lot of digital resources. And I also go to 
uh, this place called Academia Historica, the Chinese name, I don't remember it right now, but they have a lot of documents from uh, the authoritarian regimes, a lot of Chiang Kai-shek documents. So every, every place... fascinating. It's fascinating. Every place has their own kind of system and protocol for, for looking at their documents. So I had to learn that, but, you know, I also uh, had to tell them that I'm not from there. It was, it was always kind of this... I had to make sure that we were both on the same page, that, you know, what seemed so easy for them was just really difficult for me, you know, and I had, I, I needed help. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is all really cool. For your next steps, the professorship um, faculty stuff you're looking at, would you continue doing research within the Taiwan context or acoustics context or? I'm on a, I have a postdoc right now. I'm currently applying for jobs in academia and the results are yet to be known. But um, the plan, the plan is I would turn my dissertation to a book that would be within. It would be an academic book, so it may not be the most interesting. <laughs> to you general. all want to read it. <laughs> so yeah, that w- I would be turning it into a book. Will it be bilingual? Um, it'll be English. I have done some blog entries that are in Chinese, and and that would be another thing that I want to do is to find out find a way where I can share my work in Taiwan, where it's more accessible to people there. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that would be another another follow up project. And then I, I see myself continuing to do field work in Taiwan. I was in Taipei, maybe I'll go to Kaohsiung or go to the south for another project, or maybe even the outlying islands, go to Penghu or oh, something. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's just so much to to learn and experience in Taiwan. That I don't think I'll be bored uh, with, with going to Taiwan uh, for, you know, for years and years and years. And and who knows, maybe, you know, there's potential for more collaborations, like artistic collaborations, multimedia collaborations, uh, working with Taiwanese-Americans here. Uh, so so I'm excited for just taking the next step, being open to what opportunities might be out there. Oh, I'm so happy we got to talk. So you mentioned you have a blog that's up. Is that something that's publicly accessible? Oh, I don't have a blog, but um, I've, I've written a couple of things that are on other blogs, mm-hmm. and I can give you the links for okay. those. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you, Cynthia. It's been a pleasure. Jennifer. That's it. Okay. <laughs>